0: After Jesus rose from the grave and just before he ascended back to his heavenly throne, he commissioned his followers to continue the work of ministry he had begun. In Matthew 28 verses 19 and 20, he told his disciples to go into all the world to help others to understand and follow him and to baptize them and to teach them to live according to his words if you are a follower of Christ, you have this very same privilege and responsibility of participating in the Great Commission and continuing the work Jesus began. And so, beginning today and spanning the rest of the month of August, we're going to draw four implications from the Great Commission. We could certainly draw out many more, but we are going to consider evangelism, baptism, discipling, and communion. And with each of these implications of the Great Commission, we're going to consider questions like what do evangelism, baptism, discipling, and communion even mean? Conversely, what do they not mean? And how should we best handle? evangelism, baptism, discipling, and communion, and conversely, how should we not handle these things? Now, we don't have an official series for the next four weeks, uh, an official title of a series. If we did, we might call it something like Church Basics or Staples of the Christian Life. Today, we're going to consider evangelism. Uh, There are many passages of scripture that we could dive into that zero in on this topic. But for this morning, we're going to be in Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. If you haven't already, I'd invite for you to you turn in your Bible there or open your ESV translation on, on your device and, and look it up, Romans 10, 13 through 15. And while you're turning there or, or flipping there on the phone, I'll try to provide a little bit of context. So. Like most of the New Testament books, the book of Romans was originally a letter written by the apostle Paul to the Christians living in Rome. And having written it toward the end of his third missionary journey, we can place the writing of this roughly three to four years before the book of Philippians. And we're just coming out of the book of Philippians. As many of you know, uh, Romans is Paul's longest and loftiest letter. A meticulously crafted treatise that centers on God's righteousness and how every Christian, whether Jew or Gentile, should live according to it. If we were to read starting in verse 1 of chapter 1 by Romans chapter 10, that was a big jump there. By Romans 10, we can almost hear Paul groaning with sorrow because many of his fellow Jews are refusing to trust in Christ. And this is a sorrowful ordeal because Christ is God's way of bestowing saving righteousness upon those who trust in him. And so for this reason, Paul urgently pleads with the Christians in Rome in our passage Romans 10 verses 13 through 15 he pleads with them to join him in evangelizing unbelievers and so I'd invite you to follow along as I read for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you say a word of prayer with me? Father, instruct us and ignite us that we would go and preach your good news. In Jesus' name, amen. In this brief passage of Scripture, we observe two things. Number one, what evangelism is, and number two, how evangelism is to be done. Uh, for the remainder of our time, that will be our outline. Let's look at number one, what evangelism is. If we haven't gathered it already from these verses, evangelism is the act of telling and showing who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And verse 13 tells us why evangelism is so important. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from our biggest problem. Sin and Satan and the separation, eternal separation from God. Look. I don't mean to diminish our problems today. COVID-19, corruption, violence, injustice, tornadoes, and I would add Hollywood. (laughs) These are all symptoms of our biggest problem, but God's word is clear. Humanity's biggest problem, our biggest problem, is that we have each spurned our holy Creator, God. And short of His miraculous provision of mercy, we will all of us face His righteous wrath for our rebellion. See, God created us in his own image. He created us to reflect his righteous character on the earth, but because each of us has exchanged righteousness for pride and greed and lust and envy and malice and you name it, God will not be unjust when he punitively judges sinners. In fact, he would be unjust not to punish sinners. This is humanity's biggest problem. This is the bad news. And the bad news must always precede the good news because it makes the good news so good. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be forgiven of their sin and clothed in God's own righteousness and reconciled to God Himself and granted resurrected life with Him in His kingdom forever. And all of this to anyone who cries out, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. Forgive me, save me, and lead me. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This good news is as simple as it is wonderful. Which is why we can almost hear Paul agonizing over those who have yet to receive this good news. And the Roman Christians were no doubt sharing his agony. They no doubt knew plenty of people who have yet to believe this. And so then Paul asks a series of motivating questions. They are motivating, starting in verse 14. How then will unbelievers call on Jesus if they don't believe in him? That's kind of logical. How then are they to believe in him if they haven't clearly heard his message? And how are they to clearly hear his message unless someone clearly tells them, proclaims to them, presents to them, preaches to them? And and, and there we have it. Evangelism is the act of telling and, and showing who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. A little bit of... Greek geekery here for a second. The Greek word evangelium is the word that literally translates gospel or good news. And so evangelism is the act of gospeling or good newsing someone who has yet to trust in Christ. Very closely related is the act of gospeling and good newsing someone who does trust in Christ. We often call that. Discipling, evangelism and discipling are so closely related, it would probably be most appropriate if we referred to both of them simply as making disciples, right? Go into all the world and make disciples, from the seed to the, to the sprout to, hey, you're starting to bloom, keep making disciples, Concerning evangelism, maybe you've heard the old adage, preach the gospel at all times and, if necessary, use words. That's clever, but it's highly problematic. I mean, let me just ask you, and you don't have to give a verbal response. Did you come to repentant faith in Christ because someone was merely polite to you? or they fed you a meal or they paid for your month's rent? Of course you didn't. Neither did I. Showing acts of love and kindness and mercy should absolutely accompany our telling of the gospel, but showing can never replace telling. What a tragedy it would be if my parents and my youth leaders and my friends had only ever treated me kindly and never told me the bad news of my sin and then followed up with the good news of the risen Christ. I would still, had that been my story, I would still be a dead man walking in sin and awaiting the righteous wrath of God. But I'm not, I'm a follower of Christ because my parents and youth leaders and friends, even when it looked like I had all the answers, They continued to evangelize me. They told me and they showed me who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. This is what evangelism is, and now let's consider how uh, evangelism is to be done, point number two. See, let me lay hopefully a, a, a Spirit-empowered burden on your shoulders for a moment. Every follower of Christ in this room has the privilege and obligation to participate in the Great Commission and to continue Jesus' work of ministry. It's a requirement. It's not a great suggestion. It is the Great Commission. And so, how? Is evangelism to be done? Well, first, we all need to go get seminary degrees so we have all the answers, right? Mark, thank you for laughing because that was totally a joke. No, no. We needn't all go get, I don't even have a seminary degree, I'd be disqualified. Evangelism, I think, is a lot more simple than many of us might think. Remember with me the story of the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. After Jesus tells the woman the bad news of her sin, he tells her the good news that he is Messiah come to save sinners. When this good news finally sinks into the woman's mind, what does she do? She drops her watering jug. And she runs into town and she simply tells her friends what Jesus just told her. And then what we're told in John 4, 39 is this. Many Samaritans from that town believed in Christ because of the woman's testimony. Certainly doesn't seem like rocket science. All she did was go into town and tell her friends what Jesus had told her and what Jesus had done. And many Samaritans believed Christ. Hallelujah. How beautiful indeed, indeed are the feet of those who preach good news. Now, how are we to go and do the same as Paul's question in, at the beginning of verse 15 implies? And so let me just suggest Four simple things to embrace, four practices or, or postures, whatever adjective you want to, to put there, or, or, or that's, yeah, whatever. We are to be these four things, if we're to go and to, and to do likewise and to evangelize, which we ought, we are to be mindful, prayerful, relational, and intentional. Intentional. Now, for the remainder of our time, under point number two, I'm going to be looking at those four things A, B, C, and D. Point number two A, we are to be mindful. Mindful of humanity's biggest problem mindful of the sobering reality that every person on earth, no matter how well-behaved he or she might appear, every one of us has rebelled against our Creator and we have forsaken the righteousness we were made to reflect. Be mindful of the fearful reality that those who do not forsake sin and turn to God through Christ will receive God's just punishment and eternal separation from Him. And so let me ask you a question I'm asking myself. Are you mindful of what is at stake for your unbelieving coworker, for your atheist classmate, for your nominal Christian neighbor who has mistakenly reduced Christianity to voting Republican. When we are mindful of the bad news of sin and the coming wrath of God against sinners, it not only makes us more grateful for the cross of Christ, it makes us more earnest to share his good news like the woman at the well I'm not gonna be able to help when I'm mindful of what is coming against sin. I'm gonna drop my water jug and I'm gonna go tell my friends simply what Jesus has told me, right? If if, if, If evangelism is to be done and it must be done, we must be mindful. Secondly, we must be prayerful. Take a moment right now in your mind ask God quietly to bring to your mind one person in your sphere of life who is not observably following Christ God bring to our minds one person one person a coworker classmate family member friend neighbor now with that person in our minds let's quietly ask God to lay upon us a burden for that person something like this, Father, ignite in my heart a mission's flame for this person. Bring them to my mind every day and remind me to plead with you for their repentance and faith that you might reveal to them their sin, that you might reveal to them your son, that they would come to call upon the name of Christ and be saved from Satan, sin, an eternal separation from you. What if we prayed that prayer every day for that one person? I think I've told you this before, the young man named Matt, who was in my wife's Sunday school class, who for 10 plus years, made his Sunday school prayer request that his aunt would come to know and trust Christ. His aunt now knows and trusts Christ. And I would say that 10 plus years of this kid pleading with God was well worth it. Oh, to have an ounce of that kind of earnestness. If evangelism is to be done, and it must be done, we must be prayerful. Thirdly, we must be relational. Very few people these days are open to sidewalk preachers and door-to-door evangelists. I mean, I'm kind of starting to not be so open, (laughs) right? I know the good news. But very very few people these days listen to someone that they don't know. There is a high degree of skepticism. And even if you are, if you happen to be personally gifted with the ability to preach on the sidewalk or go door to door, this relational principle still applies. You can and must still speak of Christ in a way that is tender, humble, and compassionate, in a way that is authentic as a fellow human being. So I'm not personally gifted for sidewalk preaching, that would be a nightmare. Um, But I am privileged and expected by God, as are you, to tell and to show others who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So that person who came to our minds just a moment ago, hopefully not all the same person, gosh, the Lord would really be zeroing in on one person if that were the case, right? (laughs) That person who came to our minds, ask yourself this: Do you share the same lunch break as him or her? Do you share the same love for baseball or golf? Do you share the same age of children? Maybe the, shame, the, the same shame, the, the, the same appreciation for Shakespeare? Maybe there is shame in that, or, or, or jogging, right? Areas of shared interest, areas of commonality in life stage, these are prime real estate for developing relationship. That person on your mind, ask if they would join you for lunch on on Thursdays, ask if they would take a walk with you every other Tuesday, ask if they join you and your kids for a play date once a month, and then when that day comes around, simply be, a human, relatable. Ask questions about their life and their family and their aspirations and their fears. Just start by getting to know them a bit better and allow them to get to know you a little bit better. There's there's a businessman here in Worcester I was speaking with him and he mentioned to me in passing that he had been in a bad motor accident years ago. I asked him more about it and then I had the opportunity to share. I was recently in a pretty bad accident. What an area of commonality. And I am not sharing this story as if I were an expert in evangelism, far from it. This is a relational illustration. We talked about motorcycles and scooters for a bit, then I asked about his job, and then he asked me about mine. But looking at my tattoos, he said it this way, why on earth are you a pastor? (laughs) And cussing a little bit, I said, no, I didn't. (laughs) Totally kidding. No, I wish my answer would have. We've all been in these scenarios. Don't you wish your answer would be more eloquent than it is? But from one motor accident survivor to another, I simply said, dude, look, I became a pastor because I believe the Bible is true and the most beautiful thing about my life is Christ. And his response, I, Lord, only trust that this will lead to further conversation huh. (laughs) Let's remember that the woman at the well simply went to the people she knew and she simply told them what Jesus had told her. If evangelism is to be done, and it must be done, church, it must be relational Finally, we must be intentional. End of verse 14. I mean, Paul Paul is, how are they to hear without someone preaching? And look, let's not let ourselves off the hook. He's not talking about a Sunday sermon. He's not singling out pastors. He is referring to the whole of priesthood of believers. That is all of us. We are all privileged with the responsibility of simply telling others who Jesus is and what he has done. And when we are mindful of the urgency, when we are prayerful for the opportunity, when we are relational in our approach, God will give us an opportunity to be intentional just like he did the woman at the well. I usually try to open my messages with, a, with, a, with an illustration that will kind of course through the remaining sermon. I'm gonna end with one. Are you familiar with the, the comedic magicians, Penn and Teller? Yeah, they have shows in Las Vegas and stuff like that. Uh, Penn Gillette, which is 50% of Penn and Teller, he is an ardent atheist, highly intellectual, Militantly atheistic. According, well, an, a, a few years ago, Penn Gillette uh, recorded a video of himself describing a man who came to talk with him after one of his magic shows. According to Gillette, the man was about his age and had just participated in one of the magic show acts as an audience member. Of course, Penn and Teller invite then the audience member to come and see them after the show. The man did. The man complimented Gillette on the show. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he pulled out of his pocket a Bible. And he handed it to Penn. While the whole line of audience members is waiting to, you know, shake Penn's hand, Penn and Teller's hand. The man said, I, I wrote in the front of it, and, and I, want, I specifically want you to have God's word. The man then explained to Penn, look, I, I'm, I'm a businessman, I am not crazy. <laughs> and in this short video, Gillette ends up sharing how moved he was by the man's gesture. On the video, Penn Gillette says, Look, this man was kind. He was nice. He was sane. He looked me in the eyes and talked to me confidently as he gave me this Bible. And then Gillette says this in the video I don't respect people who don't share their faith. I don't respect it at all because if you believe there is a heaven and hell and that people are going to hell or they're not getting eternal life or whatever because, but you think it's really not worth telling them. If you think they're going to hell but I don't have the time or the bravery to tell you because it would be socially awkward, shame on you. And then he says this, how much do you have to hate someone to not share your faith with them? How much do you have to hate someone to believe, to know that life eternal is possible and yet not tell them? Gillette then offered this example in the video. If I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you, but you didn't believe a truck was bearing down on you, there would be a certain point when I would tackle you down to the ground and is not this faith situation infinitely more important than that? He closes the video, Penn Jillette closes the video by saying, look, I'm not a believer, but that guy who approached me was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and he cared about me enough to share his faith with me and give me a Bible. Why is it so difficult for me to do that? Why is it so difficult for any of us? It's an absolute travesty that we're sitting on a truth that is really the best kept secret. I'm sure there are a lot of reasons why we don't share who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. But for me, I think the foremost answer is mindfulness. I am not regularly sobered up in the word of God and by the power of the Spirit that I was a hell-bound Rebel until someone told me who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. I don't think that I am often enough, daily enough, sobered up by the reality that I am living on a street with men and women and children who are, as of now, going to be eternally punished for the rebellion. maybe in order that the Holy Spirit would stir up a bit of mindfulness for us as we prepare to take communion together, that we in our mind's eye look at the cross and we look at what God's wrath poured out against sin looks like, The most beautiful news for those who by repentant faith are in Christ is that the most wrath of God we will ever see, we see right there as the Christ is scourged on the cross. That is the most wrath we will ever taste. But that is not so for those who are not in Christ by repentant faith. Firstly, I'll just take this opportunity. Our gatherings are not primarily evangelistic, but if you are here and you have not yet come to repentant faith in Christ, I implore you, you are not guaranteed the next five minutes. Trust in Him. You are a sinner deserving of death. He tasted death so that you would be made righteous. Look in your mind's eye at the cross and gaze at what Christ went through in order to reconcile sinners to himself. And church, brothers and sisters in Christ, may we repent afresh May we trust anew. May we be renewed in the power of the the Holy Spirit and be given a mindfulness so that when we leave this place, and if you happen to eat at a restaurant, maybe you start this way. Miss, before you take our order, we're about to pray. How can we pray for you? Because we believe our God listens. What if that's it? What if you made a habit of going there every single Sunday with, with some other congregants every single Sunday, pick the same table, pray for the person the same way every single Sunday and watch where that goes, watch where that leads. I actually reckon the schoolhouse would be a problem if we all were doing that because we wouldn't have any room in here. And it, 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 that's, that's not church growth ploy. That is, go therefore into all the world and make disciples. And so if you are by repentant faith, meaning you are forsaking sin, you sin, I do too, but we're, we're trying by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're asking for conviction, we are asking for forgiveness and we are trying to walk away. We are putting faith-fueled effort into this thing. If you by repentant faith have come to trust in the sacrificial atonement of Christ, life, death, resurrection, if he is your salvation, then we're going to take a meal together this morning in a tremendous spirit of unity. We're going to declare the body and blood of Jesus in these elements, bread and the cup. And we're going to celebrate together. There is no condemnation for us. Man, I have stunk at evangelizing. Forgive me, Lord. Help me. What if that was just the prayer that we we all had together as we come forward to take this meal together? Conversely, I would say this. If you are not a believer, I would add this, man. If there is no fruitfulness of actual belief in your life, maybe you are darn near tricking yourself into believing you're a believer and you're not. Don't take this. That would be dangerous. This is holy. Instead, take Christ and believe on Him. Pray for fruit. Walk in it. But for those of us in Christ, this is going to be a blessed and joyful, unifying time as we declare the body and blood of Jesus broken and poured out for us. Amen. Would you pray with me as Ed and Melody come forward. They're going to sing and lead us. And while I pray, our communion servers are welcome to come forward. Oh, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we thank you that your kingdom has come. It has been inaugurated and it is to come in Christ, in his perfect life, substitutionary death, and miraculous resurrection. That is part and parcel our hope and our salvation. Lord, I pray that you might rekindle in us a mission's flame, Give us a zeal to simply tell someone we know who Jesus is and what he has done and don't allow us to presume upon, well, they're a pretty nice person, so I granted, you know, I think they probably already know the gospel. Not necessarily renew our zeal and give us a boldness by your spirit to go, therefore, and make disciples. Help us. We evangelize to good news, our spouses, our kids, our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates for your glory and for our joy. And we thank you for these elements, the bread and the cup. We declare the death of our Savior on our behalf in a spirit of unity. Be praised. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.